0: This is One Hate Minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll.
0: What's your name? Wayne Grove. These
1: look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven here.
0: Robbery, homicides, take Give me all you got! This and Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like you. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's *L.A. Crime Opus Heat*, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host Blake Howard, and you know I've I've had some uh, pretty impressive guests, and today is no different. It's the 162nd episode of Michael Mann's 1995 *Crime Opus Heat*. And uh, really, I've got a New York Times best-selling author who's written more than 30 novels. He's been called a hard-boiled poet, a noir poet laureate. He's won Audis and Barrys and Macavities and Anthony Awards. But what's actually insane is that in the midst of conducting this epic analysis and deep dive minute by minute into Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus, the man that I'm about to speak to, um, has actually been writing this heat prequel slash sequel novel. That man is the insanely talented and insanely prolific. Reed Farrell Coleman. Reed, thank you so much for being part of One Heat Minute.
1: Oh, I'm I'm very happy to be here. I think insane is the right word. Uh, not, insane, not insanely prolific, not insanely talented, just insane.
0: <laughs> well, look, it, I mean, uh, from, from, from a person who's definitely been called insane during this project, from one insane person to another, welcome i 'm um, so glad that we could link up um uh, and uh thank you so much for being uh, agreeing to be a part of the show there 's so much I want to pick your brain about obviously we 're not going to go and spoil your entire novel that you 've been working deeply on, but I think that your insights and just your you know your familiarity with these hard boiled uh, broken uh but ultimately kind of rigidly moral characters um, is going to be fascinating, I think, when you strip it right back down to what, you know, this, the 162nd minute is, and even what the last sort of nine minutes of this movie uh, in in its completion are, which is these really elemental cat and mouse chase, predator versus prey, um, and, you know, instincts writ large on the cinema screen, all of its visual language, not much talking, but you as a guy who's designing narrative constantly. Um, it's going to be fun to chat to you about this and particularly with your insights of working with the man. So I'm sure we'll dive into that. But just before we get started, let's, let's, let's read and I dive into the minute now so we can watch together. You guys are going to listen along and then once we're done, we're going to come back and talk about it. And just in case... Um, this is your very first episode of one eight minute. It is the one hundred and sixty second minute so welcome you 've got some catching up to do only one hundred and sixty one uh to catch up on before the next the next last final few drops so you 've got a a bit of catching up to do but if you are listening along and you 're trying to sync it up um this is the it 'll say two hours forty one minutes on your dial for this next sixty seconds um, and then finish up at two hours forty two um, the challenge that you've got is there's a Director's Definitive Edition out, which is slightly seconds out from what we're watching. So if you have the old uh, classic Warner Brothers uh, Blu-ray, you're exactly on point where we're going to be watching, but we're going to watch it now. You guys can listen up, and uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk about it. There we have it, chasing your own shadow, white noise, paranoia and uh, just after all the grandiosity of this movie, I just can never get over, I can just never get over that it turns into this beautiful mano-a-mano face-off in this kind of alien, weird alien landscape, in alien slash industrial landscape, Read.
1: Yes, well, uh, I'll just listen. I, I think you've got this down pat.
0: <laughs> listen
1: to you talk about
0: it. Uh, I think people have no, had enough of I, me talking about it. To be honest, probably by now, if this is their 160 second minute of Michael Mann's 90, ninety-five crowd they've had enough of me talking. They want to hear from you, my friend. They want to hear from you. Well,
1: well, what I what I, this this minute is particularly fascinating for me on a personal level not only the the amazing technical aspects of how michael is such a great and now i'm no film guy uh <laughs> i'm just a film fan yes but the uh, amazing tension he builds there by those the way he shoots that scene yes uh is is just to you know uh layman pretty amazing but on the tech on a personal level it's amazing because as I think I've told you, I worked at the cargo area at Kennedy Airport for five years. Yes. So that is it. Yes. So anybody, any of the listeners who've seen Goodfellas, those are the guys I worked with for five (laughs) years.
0: They were all named Vinny. Um, And they were all playing their own Lufthansa heists one after the other. Oh,
1: yeah. They all fancied themselves, you know, real (laughs) tough guys. Uh, So, no, that's an amazing kind of you know, uh, happenstance that I I was somebody who worked at the cargo area at Kennedy Airport and very familiar with that kind of uh, milieu. The you know the part of the airport people don't often see yes. was it's kind of like in a in a restaurant the back of the house and the front of the house. Yes, uh, I I I got to see the back of the house, so I'm very familiar with that. But really, what's fascinating about this minute is how you summed it up. It's kind of a shadow dance, one man with his own shadow. Um, And it, to me, is the physical expression of the conversation that the two of them have in their face-to-face meeting in the coffee shop. Yes. Uh, In the coffee shop, they talk about it. And in this minute, and from here to the end of the movie, they live it. Yes. And so um, it's a really interesting... Uh, sent, you know, there's a lot of foreshadowing in books. It's something I'm fairly familiar with. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's often subtle in books. Uh, and in movies, it's less subtle. I mean, we've all seen the – we all know the famous example of if you see a gun in scene one, you know somehow in the denouement – the gun is going to be used or yes. if the cell phone doesn't work early on in, in the movie, at the end of the movie, it's that cell phone not working is going to be part of the new new It's going to be here. Part,
0: part of the character's demise. Very likely. Right? Very likely. Yes.
1: Uh, so here you have them in the coffee shop having this face to face meeting where they're both kind of looking in the mirror. Yes, which is really what's going on. They're looking in the mirror at each other, um, and the way it's shot, you you know, that's an interesting thing. The the scene in the coffee shop. I know that's not my minute, but I have to refer to it.
0: (laughs) You're allowed Uh, listen, read. You know, for someone who hasn't listened to every episode, what we do, we're exactly like Neil Macaulay. We say we've got this discipline, and then we break it over and over (laughs) and over again.
1: Right, Um, and so. Here it is, that shadow dance that Mm. they talked about and and keeping their word. Yes. These are guys who keep their word. And so here they are keeping their word. This is what I said in the coffee shop I would do. And here we are. This is what I'm doing. Yes. So I think that's why this is a fascinating moment. Other than the brilliant way it's shot Mm. and the tension and the. You know, what's strange is, OK, we could have had it be a um, old style Western showdown. Yeah. Right. Two guys in the middle of the street at, at noon. But here there's that other element, that technology element, the lights, the sounds of the jets, the the kind of weird, as you put it, industrial kind of strange setting. Which heightens the tension a thousandfold. Uh, Could you imagine? You could have shot this scene. I imagine in a warehouse. Yeah, a quiet warehouse where they're the only two people. But it would have the tension. There would have been tension, obviously, just because it's the two of them. But the the noise, the lights, the buildings, the shadow adds so much to it.
0: Yeah, that, um, I think you're spot on. It it's like this whole other layer of uncertainty. Like in a warehouse, and even you don't have to be a film expert. You can be a film fan to talk about it. Is we're so uh, we're so programmed, us as viewers. Like in a quiet warehouse, because of the way they've been used in cinema, it's like every creak, every like rattling of a chain, every something like that. Like it's going to have us in a heightened state for like noise, but here. You know, grass can move, and and they can thump against one of these weird concrete outcroppings, and the the lights will go and and change the whole dimension of what we're viewing, and the airplanes roaring, you know, and then this sort of deathly quiet and can hush over. It's all that unpredictability. I think you're you're so spot on. It's just like all these other elements that are happening it just doesn't it it would not be the same if it was a quiet street or 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 in, or in stark sunlight it's like the fact that it's all these things at once is that's it's what's really special
1: yes um now here's some insight i mean i can't give you too much insight <laughs> into, into you know michael michael's way of thinking please don't uh, or or as i think of him mr man
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and as we do too mr man
1: yes um Uh, is one of Michael's I think favorite movies is Godfather 2 strangely enough yeah Uh, just so happens to star these two guys (laughs) yeah Uh, but you know if 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 we refer back to that movie which I think Michael does in his heart even if not consciously and this is total speculation Michael has talked to me about Godfather 2 I think he loves that movie yes um um But the scene early on in Godfather 2, where the senator is in Michael's office. Hmm. And I've seen that movie once or twice. I bet you.
0: I bet you. I have too.
1: And Michael Corleone says to the senator, let's something to the effect of let's not pretend we're not part of the same hypocrisy. (laughs) Yes. You know. Beautiful. um, it to me, there's a resonance with the coffee shop scene in Heat and in this minute, yes, and the, and how the rest of the movie plays out. We are who we are, and let's not pretend we're we are not. And one of the things that it wasn't was was odd for me is I've written bad guys in the past, yes, but I mostly write good guys, yes, and so one of the things I've had to struggle with and learn is how to see these guys as the heroes. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting thing, uh, to do that. And, you know, Al Pacino, the, the Hannah is not a class. He, he's a good guy, but he isn't a classic. No. Good guy. Very far from it. He, he's a hunter. He's a classic hunter. He's not a classic hero at all. um, because look, it is family life, yes uh, yeah, uh, what a mess uh and, and he and, is-
0: and he's just left it all behind, too right. he's like sprinted out yes. of there skipped kick, skipped away kick, from kick the the, kick, the chaos,
1: right, kick the TV screen, kick the TV set out of the car uh, yes again, sorry, I'm referring to someone someone else's minute, don't shoot me um, no, you know that symbolic thing of kicking the tv out of the car uh you know oh f- screw it i'm gonna leave this behind that you know and and you know as i'm right uh, since i've written obviously it's a prequel so i've written hannah earlier yes and let's just say that he's never been really good if you note, know, uh, i'm sorry if i'm jumping around a little bit here but when uh nate is telling McCauley in the car about hannah you know he talks about his divorces yes and chi- chicago which is where some of the prequels gonna take place oh my let's say fa- let's just say hannah Vincent han has never been really had wonderful uh, marital relationship i can so, imagine
0: i can in my in my wildest imaginings of this movie there's one thing that I've never ever thought is that he was a great partner <laughs> none yeah, of these yeah. guys yeah. he but, is,
1: actually he's a great partner if you're a cop but yes, marital status not was, a marital
0: partner yeah
1: no. oh no no way <laughs> um so you know. And what, what else is really interesting for me to have to have to learned is I think Michael sees them in the way you describe them as pure, kind of
0: mm.
1: that they're, they're very pure. They are who they are. Yes. Um, and and interestingly, they make some choices towards the end of the movie, particularly Macaulay, in which are, and I think this is a really interesting question. That viewers struggle with is, you know, uh, Macaulay could have gotten on and had a wonderful life. Of course. The life that Hannah could never have. Yeah. Hannah could never have that because he's Hannah. He could never have that life. And Macaulay, and it's, I think, you know, here's Michael being a brilliant filmmaker. I hope you're listening, Michael. <laughs> 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 uh, is the exit. He could go one way in the car or the other way in the car. I mean, I don't think that's an accident that he does that. And he goes to the hotel to exact revenge. And that's, to me, is also very. uh, Sorry, I'm stepping on everybody else's minutes, but uh, I just don't
0: think. You're working with Mr. Man on fleshing out our whims. And our dreams and our fantasies about what these characters, how these characters came to be, and how these characters came to this landscape, um, and so we, we'll we'll give you as much permission to trample uh, this yes. close to the end, all over those other minutes. But I think you're right. so I think you're so right. It's um, you know, they have that's I wrestle with that too, and I've seen this movie as many times as any other human being has seen it. In the world, perhaps, almost as many times as Michael Mann's, Mr. Michael Mann's editors saw it in yeah. actually <laughs> putting it together. And one of the things that really, like, that sticks with me and I, I really was resonating with me as you were talking, Reed, is, like, there's such a wrestle, like, it's a maddening wrestle between him just going. And so many times, Hannah, the way that Hannah talks is like, he's gone. Neil is gone. Right. Bye-bye. He's gone like they lay all the traps, they throw the hail marys. There's no way he's going to be there. He's gone. He's too smart. He's too good. And it's that it's that that weird hierarchy in his brain that says revenge is more important than escape.
1: Um and this is the interesting thing is I'm not sure Michael sees it as revenge. I think Michael sees see, and, and this is my guess. We've yeah. had some talks about it, but he sees it as his loyalty to uh, – now, you know, Chorito's dead. There's nothing you can do about it. You walk, You go in the rain, you get wet, right? Yeah. He knew his risk.
0: I'll tell you what I don't you do. Know, so- I'll tell you what I don't do, Reed, I don't sell medals is one of my other favorite yeah. <laughs> lines of New
1: right. record. Uh, it's st- stress fractures in titanium. <laughs> uh, uh, um, so you, what you – don't see here is i don't think michael sees this as pure revenge no um, i think he sees it as um you know justice in a way yeah um i, I don't think he he Macaulay is the type of guy who just sees things as oh, i'm gonna get him back for that and I it's just like don't.
0: order it's, it's also order and control like right. it's justice and it's order because it's like this is an element that's out of place like there's nothing more you know if you were to talk about a, a word that describes Wayne Grow in this movie you know the big you know there's obviously Chris Yahelis which is the other like male you know you know part of this tr- trinity if you like of you know key key characters but um but Wayne Grow is like pure chaos like he's just pure chaos and he's right you know backing himself you know i'm a cowboy like anything heavy you know he he knows that there's danger coming for him he knows there's potentially reprisal for all the bad things that he's done but he doesn't care he's just still chaotic he's just playing everything as it lays every hand is all in and what you know the chips fall as they may
1: yeah i i think i see it the same way is that um macaulay sees order in the universe it may not be the same order we see in the universe. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, he's he's restoring order to the universe, even if it means he doesn't get to do the thing he wants to do. <laughs> yes, it's as if that he needs to be the one to to uh, to blot out or sand out the blemish in the middle of the of the the scheme of things. Yes, <laughs> that in some ways he's let he's the leader of the crew. Wayne, and this is something Michael and I have never really fully talked about because you just have to accept the movie as it is. Yes. Right? Um, would Macaulay have ever led a guy like Wangro into the crew if he knew he would just be an element of chaos? No. So in some ways, this is not revenge. This is Macaulay taking responsibility for unleashing you know, he opened Pandora's box. He has to be the one to close it. You know, even if he was on the other side of the world, in um, you know New Zealand, looking at bioluminescent algae, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, he's talking about in the house overlooking the lights fla- of L.A. flashing beneath them, as if which which look at which the bi- look
0: themselves like bioluminescent <laughs> algae. Less,
1: right. Absolutely. Um, So I think he's he feels responsible as he felt for his crew. He feels responsible for closing Pandora's box. And for in this movie, in these people's lives, that Pandora's box is Wayne Yes. Uh, And he does. He he closes Pandora's box at the cost of his own life and his own happiness.
0: Yeah. Order if he is more... Could, if
1: he was really... Kate, right. He restores all, he's, he restores order. Yes. More than vengeance. Yes. See, I had to learn that, actually, because, like most viewers, I think your first viewing of this movie, you see it as pure vengeance. Yes. Um, but it isn't.
0: I think that's I what... came to that. That's what grabs us, though, Reid. I think that what you've... What you talk about in, like, a... In, like an ins- insanely awesome first hand experience of like wrestling with these characters is is what what i think preliminarily brings the super fans back for their first taste it's like there's something that's that's something that niggles at you it's not pure vengeance so you go back and you watch it again and it feels completely different you know whatever mood you're in whatever you know if you watch this in an angry mood you know here's a you know his, it's vengeance. If you watch this in a really righteous mood and you don't like Wayne Grow, you want vengeance exacted. And then in this, like, when you can sort of watch it more objectively, as we're talking about it, it is a, it's an order restoration. And then you go, okay, this, this movie just, cha- it's, this movie is a mutating force in some weird ways, right? That's part of the. It's got this clarity, but there's this great thing that just allows you to just continue to tangle with it with these characters because they allow some ambivalence and a bit of ambiguity in some of the decisions that they're making and and you get to float between them and have these great gaps of you know how am I going to pour myself into this? how am I, how am I going to view it this Uh-oh. time?
1: well what's 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 very interesting here's a little more um, happenstance and serendipity. Last week, uh, a, a noir writer friend of mine named William Boyle. If you've never read him, you should. He's from my old neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, he he's very dark writer, really interesting, and he's he's kind of, he teaches, I believe, at the University of Mississippi in in uh, Oxford. Um, and he's a very good guy. He did an interview with this writer you may have heard of, Don Winslow.
0: Yes. Uh, one yeah. but another and, another yeah. another manhead and another great writer and right. big trilogy of right. books that Here. are killing it at the moment
1: yeah so here's the here's the serendipity so the one of the first questions bill asks don who's an old friend and who and we're both represented by the same agent um don they ask about are you a good fella's guy or Heat guy, <laughs> uh, right? Two classic, you know, crime movies, and obviously I have a certain attachment to both of these movies. Of course, yeah, it's so, it's, yes. it's,
0: it's 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 the Sophie's choice of questions to open yes. an interview. To be brutally honest, yeah, right. it's tough.
1: So so Don, of course, says he loves Goodfellas, but what he said about Heat is exactly what you got done saying before i went rambling on (laughs) was uh that for him it's heat because he always sees something different in the movie when he every time he watches it yes um yeah so you're you're not alone there's at least two people on (laughs) earth who feel exactly the same way that you do, oh. and the other guy is Don Winslow. That's so, good company.
0: Uh, That's good company yes. to be in, Reed. That's good. I'm. Yeah, yes. I'm. Could Here,
1: here's here's the other bit of serendipity, and I'll I'll just then I, then I'll shut up. Uh, is please I please did don't a, shut up. Uh, please
0: don't shut up. You keep going. <laughs> I did
1: I did an essay for a blog called Crime Reads. Yes. I don't know if you, and it was about Bosch. Yes. Uh. Yeah, have, do you guys get you your Netflix? Do you get
0: no, Bosch? Bosch is, I don't think Bosch is on Netflix here, but we have it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Amazon, on or, Amazon Prime right. or something like that. Yeah, but That's, yeah.
1: Yes. Uh well, I did an I've known Michael for a long time and I love Bosch. Yes. And I did all, you know, but one of the lines that in this essay is, and by the way, you know, I've been working on the Heat prequel with Michael Mann, and here's a bit of serendipity within serendipity, is Edie's house yes. and Heat is Bosch's house in the series. Really? Yes.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So there's something for your, for your listeners and viewers that they might like to know.
0: Oh, that is so cool. That is, the, that is an so the-
1: amazing tidbit. Yes so that those lights that are the bioless bioluminescent lights of New Zealand <laughs> that's Los Angeles and in Bosch you see them all the time they're on the deck you know that's one of the shots that's in almost every episode of Bosch is that nighttime shot with LA spreading out And it's great so um Michael Mann now owes me money for plugging Bosch <laughs> <right>? <laughs>
0: Apart from everything else, apart from all your work on heat, one of the things I want to talk to you about, you talked about foreshadowing before. And I think that earlier in this minute, you know, one of the things that I really like, just from a pure performance perspective, and I just wanted to get your take on it, is there's a couple of moments where these guys do these sort of like, they both sort of leap around a corner expecting to see one another. And what's so weird just about the pacing and about the tension of the minute is when they don't see their shadow, when they don't see their reflection around the corner, the energy is still like crazy high. And I I guess you as a writer, when you're imagining what a scene is, it's like when they leap around the corner and there's nothing there, there's still this heightened tension. And it feels like there's a death. What what just happens at the end of this minute just as we, we 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 come to the finish line of 162, it's like, as soon as Neil actually catches Vincent's shadow, it feels like, and it's like the lights start to come down in the airplane, it's just all these elements are all happening at the same time, and then it becomes calm. You know, so what I wanted to ask you as like a writer is like, when you're doing that, it's like, you know, and I know you play with these hard-boiled guys, like, is sometimes the the anticipation of that acquisition of that thing that they're wanting, like, and just not getting it or just not being there or just that subversion of expectations. Like, in in a novel, how do you toy with that? Like, it's a longer game, right? Like, in cinema, it's just instant. It's like a a reflex. We can see it. But how do you play with that as a novelist? Because I think it's still such an incredible storytelling, like, in an instant in cinema, but in a novel, it's—I—I'd I, I'd love to pick your brain.
1: Yeah, it's one of the the interesting differences in working with somebody who's a filmmaker and a screenwriter. Yes. But those are very different talents, and they're de- very different arts. Yes. You know, uh, in in um in a movie. You and I will often talk about this at when I do book signings and stuff and it comes up that I'm writing this book is, you know, you have a soundtrack yes. in a movie. You have uh, music in a movie. Yes. You have shifting points of view in a movie. You have all sort acting. You have facial expression. You yeah. have. I have none of that. Right. So what you play with in your head is, at least, and and I don't speak for all writers, trust me, <laughs> it's a good thing I don't speak for all writers, uh, is me, I, I actually imagine it in my head as a movie. Yes. And then think, does that translate? Can I make that work in words on the page? Yes. Um Because... I do think I do good fight sequences. I think I do good shootout sequences and silence is always, or stillness is always a part because I think that's a really smart move on Michael's part. You know, listen to me tell him, Oh, well, I think Michael (laughs) was smart to do that. Right. You know, uh, (laughs) uh, which Uh, is part of the absurdity of this, you know, uh is I'm some schmuck from Coney Island in Brooklyn and there's Michael Mann, you know, and we're collaborating on this. And it's just seemed, when I think about that, it just seems bizarre to me.
0: You know, you know, you know that, I uh, don't think it's bizarre. And one of the things I wanted to say is when 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 we've been talking and Reed and I had a great convo that was not recorded that should have been, which is a blast, before talking to you so you guys can hear now. But I just want to say is is a great Bostonian film critic who's increasingly a great friend of the show and increasingly one of my favorite critics to read by the name of Sean Burns. And Sean saw Heat in 95. When it came out, he saw it with his friends, college friends, I believe. And it was December. So it was winter in New York City. Um, And he, uh, he discussed on the show, you know, many episodes ago, that how foreign it was at the time to see a poster that had Al Pacino's face on it and Robert De Niro's face. And underneath it said like an LA crime saga. And people were like, LA, like these guys are the most New York guys ever (laughs) (laughs) in the history of movies. And I remember not having that not feeling that because I wasn't as you know I'm a little bit younger, so I wasn't as familiar with their bodies of work and obviously that like the the quintessential like you know icons of New York that they are, so I think a guy from you know Coney Island Brooklyn um, maintaining the the sort of i don't know this weird uh, middle distance with this transient space like l a but keeping the sort of you know the big city New York perspectives is probably perfect it's probably why michael mann's collaborating with you because it's like he knows that these guys brought that energy into this much more you know into this wider expanse as opposed to you know the normal you know condensed new york city bustle
1: well that's a lovely thing of you to say and if you want a job as my pr person (laughs) you're (laughs)
0: uh
1: (laughs) <laughs> no, it's, it's, it is an interesting because Pacino and De Niro are the quintessential New York actors. Yes. And as a matter of fact, the first time I actually met Michael Mann in person was at De Niro's hotel restaurant in oh. Tribeca. So, yeah. uh, and Tribeca is on, Weinstein...
0: right. tri- on right now. You know, it's so, yeah.
1: yeah. And yeah. And Harvey Weinstein, by the way, was at the next table. Oh man, So that was strange. Um, no, uh, I mean, they are the, they are the quintessential New York actors. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's, don't ask me, you know, how this all happened. It's not worth thinking about, but you know, now that I'm in the midst of it, uh, I'm in the midst of it. So is there anything you'd like to ask me about the book? Maybe I'd be able to answer.
0: Well, just one thing, and there's no detail. It's that for the longest time read before, you know, you know, I'm so lucky having done this show. Um, the great uh, great writer in his own right, Jedediah Ayres, you know, said, Oh, my friend Reed is writing the Heat prequel novel. And I was like, Holy shit, Jedediah, you need to introduce <laughs> me to him. And so, at the time, it's always been talked about as like a Heat prequel. And I guess like I'm not I'm not sure if it's like a misnomer or or if there, are, there might be flash forwards. But in a recent interview Michael did with Bill Gabiri, another great guest of this show... Um, he talked about it being like a Heat prequel and sequel, so something that might dance between timelines. And so I just, I, I guess, without spilling anything more other than is that factually correct, it's like, are we gonna maybe see beyond what we've seen in Heat from a future perspective, and uh, or is it purely prequel? Is that kind of a bit of a misnomer?
1: Who would I beat it? Who am I to disagree with Michael
0: Mann? <laughs> uh, no, uh, I love I th- talking think... to you, Raid. I could t- I wish yeah. we'd done 10 episodes together. This is fun. <laughs> this is fun. Um, um
1: I think I, I since Michael said it, I I think that I'm not I'm not letting the cat out of the bag. In that I think we both started. Michael yeah, you know, here, here's one of the things I learned early on about Michael. He is really smart. Yeah, he he's really smart. We don't think alike. We have very different processes. I, I am sure he pulls his hair out thinking <laughs> about how I do stuff. I don't have any hair to pull out. So, <laughs> uh, you know, but I think in the end it's going to work because we both, I think, envision that it, just as a prequel – you, if you know how everything is going to end up, yeah, if, if we all knew how game of Thrones was going to end, what would be the interest in watching? I mean, it should be some interest in watching it, but really the thing that's driving the last season is kind of, but what really happened,
0: what really happened,
1: what ultimately going to happen? So all you have to think about, and, and this is, here's a little tease Who's left alive? Yep. At the end of, uh, where do they go? What do they do? Yeah. And does that is there foreshadowing there?
0: <laughs> oh man, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I See, knew that would frustrate. No, it doesn't frustrate me. It makes me giddy with excitement. To be brutally honest with you, it makes me excited because yeah. this is the stuff. That after you know 161 recorded episodes of this show, that you know we've you know what, this is what's you know to Don Winslow's point is so titillating about this film and the mythology is that at the end of it, you are literally left thinking you know I, I in a very recent episode I think it's episode 157 so folks who are listening to this if if this isn't your first episode and you've been listening along um, I spoke to a great Australian film critic Joanna Mattia, and we both talked about just like occasionally stopping and going what the hell happens to charlene you know what does charlene do from here what does edie do like what the hell is the fallout from that moment and so there's some those little tendrils those little threads that that always happens in that so that's great and it's and for me also it's the same argument and frustration i have with the navel gazing of like star wars prequels because they kind of they you know what happens and they're your favorite movies ever and I think that's the brilliance of the movie that we started talking about much earlier in this podcast of Godfather Part 2 which is that at the same time as being a prequel it is a sequel there's like this there's this beautiful parallel universes that are happening at the same time in this you know Gargantuan epic across different time periods with different you know political machinations and social issues and you know things that need to be contended with across both streams and um and we get to draw the parallels as the audience together while informing everything that we love and and expanding upon all, all the themes of like what is possibly one of the greatest movies of all time anyway and so i <clears throat> so I think in the spirit of that. I maybe mentioned it once, which is like if, if, if Reed Commons and Michael Mann's novel uh, of heat is going to be the Godfather part two of the heat universe, um, or at least aspirations to do so, uh, I'm going to be a very, very happy camper as the host of this show. So I'm excited right. there. Can I ask you one question uh, you teased in my, sure. com- in, in my conversation with you? If, and i'm not sure if you're at liberty to say but like you you teased me and maybe we'll talk about it off air and just tease the hell out of everyone i'll just stop recording right now so i can pick your brain about it <laughs> you teased me with the prospect of like you know when you and michael are talking about this heat prequel and obviously you're going back to vincent in chicago and you're talking about these young guys and you being a visual mind like it's impossible not to have this novel running as a movie in your mind projecting you talked about like who he'd cast who's who's the cast
1: yes well i think i i I didn't mean that as a teaser though maybe i should take credit for it and say i perfectly meant that as a (laughs) teaser of course and i knew you would bring it up uh don't you love how people in life you know there's all this stuff happens by coincidence and happenstance and then they take credit for it yes uh it's it's it's, you know (laughs) it's I, I don't know if your listeners are mystery readers, but you know this, that I, I was selected to take over the Jesse Stone series yes. uh, for, the late, for the late Robert Rippy Parker. <clears throat> and people always ask me about how that came about. And of course, I had my own explanation for it. And then when I really found out what it was, <laughs> it was utterly different. And I won't bore your, your viewers or listeners with the story, but let's just say what I believed <laughs> was the reason and what was the reason <laughs> were vastly different. So, <laughs> um, so I think the reason Michael sometimes says stuff like I could cast so-and-so is he can't help himself, but think of this in terms of a movie yes. and I can't help myself, but I imagine it as a movie but think of it as a book. Yes. So it's an it's it's an interest and that causes some tension obviously. Yes. I mean no colla- any collaboration that's easy uh it, it's probably not worth the you know worth anything.
0: Yes. There's got
1: to be tension between especially when you have people coming from such different perspectives, you know, as a guy who I look at writing the following way and i always say this in interviews uh is that i try what's magical about reading is that i give the reader just enough information to make the movie in his or her own head yes so that everybody's movie that from my books is a little bit different from everybody else's yes and mike is thinking visual you know moral what people are going to see the music they're going to hear the shots he's going to use. So I just think that's how he sees things. Yes. So I know I'm not sure. I, I mean, do I think he wants to make this into a movie? You bet your ass. He, <laughs> I'm sure. He and I bet you, I want him to do it more than he wants to do it. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, I, I think he thinks that way because he always, say, I think, he projects stuff as a movie, and I didn't mean to use "project" as a pun. Yes, uh, he he just sees things that way. So when he says that, I think he means it, but just because that's how he sees things.
0: And so, can you give us any of those names? Any of uh, those names he's mentioned? For, how, how, for how about? How, <laughs> sorry, what did you say? For a price. For a price. Well, yeah, well, uh, we're we're, we're, we're yeah. paying. We're gonna be paying shortly. Um <laughs> That's the uh that's the impossible that's the impossible thing that um has happened once or twice on this show. I've talked about like you know, you know, and this being the amazing text that it is. It's like people are like who would you recast if you remade it in twenty nineteen? And I have so much trouble even imagining um imagining two actors that have grown together who you've so desperately wanted to see on screen who are, like, just phenomenal performers, like, out of sight, incredible, same generation. You know, they're contemporaries. They come from even the same, you know, space. It's like, they don't exist in the same way. I think it's easier to cast this movie if you did it again in, like, the 70s. Like, it's an easier way to, like, cast it in 74. Like, yep, I can cast this movie earlier. Even eighties, I can cast it in the eighties, but not quite beyond the two thousands. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I it's... mean
1: that's that's why it's I'm lucky because I don't have to cast it. <laughs> yes. But I, I think, yeah, I, I think there the, you know, in the seventies, of course, which I think is the golden age of film, yeah, in certain agree. ways. I agree. Uh, you know, my favorite movie is French Connection, so. For all sorts of reasons. Yeah. I could I could do 162 minutes on The French <laughs> Connection by itself. Uh, but uh, the thing is, the only actor I could think of who would work now and he just quit is Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Would be an actor I think would be up to being one of these parts. But he's a little too old now. Yeah. And. He quit. So and, but he's a and, guy who absolutely inhabits a part.
0: So And what's tough is who the hell do you cast opposite him? Like right. who's who's <laughs> gonna cat like that's the thing. It's like when you put ninety five De Niro against ninety five Pacino, and especially when they sit down in that coffee shop, that's a tutorial on acting. That's like if you're a budding actor. And you want to learn how to react and get into a flow with another person where it's really organic and it's really simple. It's not a complexly, you know, in talking film language, it's not a, there's not a lot of blocking, you know, that they have to do. Like, it's just very oh, basic. They're yeah. sitting at a chair They're they're just, they're acting to one another, being able to get involved in the scene. And it's just like, who the hell do you put against one of those guys? Yeah,
1: though. I, I, you know, that's my, you know, there's a old thing in sports. It's a good problem. Oh, it's uh, isn't it? Yes. If we get if we get to that point, I'll be a very happy man. So,
0: and uh, and I'll tell and I'll tell you, you, know, you this, read Now, this is something that many people have asked me. So, I'm going to flip it around today and say, many people have said, Blake, are you going to keep going with this show? Like, you know, are you going to do more Michael Mann movie minutes? And I will unequivocally have said absolutely not. I'm not doing. <laughs> I'm not doing <laughs> another Michael Mann minute podcast. But I did say this, and I will say it to you: if there is a Heat prequel novel, obviously there will be, and I'll read it and enjoy it. But if that Heat prequel novel, prequel sequel novel, turns into a Heat prequel sequel film, then you bet your ass. I will not hesitate, not for a second, <laughs> to be unpacking. Hopefully, your movie minute by minute, just as I have done with this show, because I feel like I would be obligated uh, to be a completist and to to cover every single minute of of of, of a of a, of of heat of a heat prequel sequel um, in the spirit of this show.
1: Well, and I say that if I'm still walking the earth, I will be happy to be a guest oh, on that.
0: You'll be back in a heartbeat, yes. ladies and ladies and gentlemen. I just want to say a huge thank you to Reed Coleman, Reed. Thank you so much for being a part of One Heat Minute. It's been an absolute blast.
1: Yeah, well, this was fun. Um, give me another minute. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> they're, no, running they're, was, they're running out. This is. They're running out. No. No. I'll do the credits. No, uh, <laughs> it it was great. I had a lot of fun, and and if there's anything I can ever do for you, uh, just let me know. Look, uh, I would just if, love if as you're... soon
0: as as soon as there's a copy that I can get my hands on a pre-cop, pre, you know, an early copy of that that book. You bet your uh, you bet your sweet ass that I will read your great ass read Coleman that I will read the <laughs> living daylights out of that book, um, uh, voraciously and be very grateful. But I just want to say a huge thank you to you guys. ReadColeman.com. You can go to his website and check that out. But otherwise, if you've got a phone and you've got the Kindle app or you've got Amazon or whatever the hell you do, um, his entire back catalog of insane. Um, you know his insane back catalogue of um, obviously Robert B. Parker's Jesse Stone. I think there's five novels in the series so far that you've taken over read. Is that right? Yeah, six, count- six is coming. Six there are well,
1: there are six that I've written, and the sixth one is coming out in September.
0: Coming out in September. He's obviously got his um, Mo Prager, Gus Murphy series, as well as a bunch of standalone novels. Um, but thirty bestsellers essentially yes. um, so you know there's a lot um, to catch up on so jump on that and do that quickly Reid thank you so much we're going to stay in touch um, uh, definitely thank you Mr. Garth Franklin for our web design Mr. Paul Davies for our theme and uh, and there's not many minutes to go so we'll catch you another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner of one of these random things at an airport